Dogs, swab the decks and hoist the sails. The guns on board be needed some proper manning. Pieces of eight and a fine wench on your arm. If you work, be not too shoddy. Careful not to flounder too badly, though, or you may have to dance the hempen jig as we see you to Davy Jones. The Jeffy, my boy, on with the show. Vast me hearties. To our listeners from across all regions of the planet, welcome once again aboard the Robin Hood, flagship to the world's one and only cooperatively inspired charity podcast network, WPRPN. Live streaming today from just off the shores of South Korea's Ain't It Time to Set Some People Free Peninsula? You're listening to episode 111 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. This year's Free John Ford UFO Political Prisoner World Roundtable. I'm your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. After nearly 25 years of incarceration, word has it, one of America's top highest profile, oddly, least known political prisoners, John Ford, stands on the brink of a possible release from New York State's Mid-Hudson Maximum Security Psychiatric Institute for the Criminally Insane. With two archived shows already behind us, could the timing of this week's annual roundtable be any more auspicious? Stick around, folks, and hopefully a few more answers will manage to come your way as over the next 90 minutes or so, we reach out around the world via our historic 2018 YouTube Pirate Radio web stream. Auspicious being, hopefully, the operative word to... This week's stream, we've managed to assemble a handful of various personalities who are going to do their best to contribute to the conversation. Hopefully doesn't end up being too much of a, a clusterfuck as far as things go. Uh, we've got John's power of attorney, Pirate Joe Eminon, standing by at the ready, along with I believe Kaiser Schuff is heading his way on up to the Crow's Nest. Christina Taft, courtesy of the Everyday Psych Victims Project, is even dropped by. And on top of that, it looks like Robert Morningstar may be popping in for a couple of minutes. He also claims to have known John personally having met him back uh, in the mid-1990s. So, let's see, uh, Pirate Joe, do we have you there? Yeah, okay. we do, I hope. That's one of you, and uh, the Kaiser? I make a heading on up to the crow's nest. Oh, that, that would be a splendid plan indeed. And finally, Christina. Hi, this is Christina from Everyday Sight Victims Project. That's great. Now, I'm not sure about 
Robert here. We're going to try, I guess, to add him to the group call as we stream things out. can get a little tricky from time to time. Also, Kelly Freeman had been added to the group, but it says that he's not online at the present moment, so maybe we can uh, just remove him for the time being, and uh, he can possibly drop by a little bit later. Robert, uh, do we have you? Not quite. Anyways, friends and fellow pirate mateys, it looks like we're off to the races here. Some pretty uh, promising and hopefully auspicious times here is what we're looking at, potentially, Joe. Now, the best way, I think, to do things this week is to just briefly, where do things stand right now with his case? But on top of that, then we're going to have to, of course, backtrack and just kind of flesh things out because you can imagine there'll be some listeners who will have no idea who John even is and why he's been spending the last 20-plus years now as a guest of the, what is it, Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Maximum Security Institute for the Criminally Insane. So where do things stand at the present moment, Joe? First of all, it's Mid-Hudson. Hello, I'm here. That's great, Robert. We're just kind of getting into things here, so stand by. We're going to let Joe kind of just unpack what are some of the latest developments, and we'll try to just make the rounds here over the course of the next little while. Now, you've got to actually head out, though, too, Robert. You can't stick around for too long. Is that right? I have about an hour. Oh, okay. Well, we'll try to turn it over to you then as soon as possible. I'll be happy to comment anytime. Just show me. Let me give you some background. It's a uh, it's a Mid-Hudson Forensic Psychiatric Center. I don't know when the name was changed, but it was originally the uh, New York uh, Center for the Criminally Insane. It's in Orange County, New York, which is like upstate, about a third of the way to Canada from New York City. He was a uh, resident of uh, Long Island, Bellport, in uh, Brookhaven uh, Township. In 1996, he was arrested at his home while being surveilled with a a confidential informant in the house. He was charged with, along with his co-defendant, Joseph Mazzuccelli, three counts of um, conspiracy to commit murder, and specifically on county and town officials, all of whom were Later, very shortly after uh, John was arrested and never convicted, never tried, all of those people were found to be completely corrupt, taking bribes, abusing public funds, selling jobs, no-show jobs and so forth, disposing of uh, uranium, radium and other other, uh, horribly faulty material from Grumman Aerospace where they were winding down the F-14 program. And um, he's a very upstanding person. He was remanded to the, uh, he would not plead guilty. And his attorney sort of coerced him, his then attorney, who's now a a judge in Suffolk County, coerced him into uh, taking uh, an insanity defense, basically saying that he was non-compass mentis. He didn't understand the crime, and he couldn't contribute to his defense. And that he was going to be sent up for observation to Mid-Hudson uh, Psychiatric. After uh, a short period of time, he was uh, sent back with a clean bill of health, mental health. 
they brought in several psychiatrists and they trumped up some information based on virtually nothing. I believe the original committal form has him diagnosed with an Axis I disorder similar to um, the fellow that shot Ronald Reagan, John Hinckley. They've been rubber stamping. He's been requesting release every, I think he's allowed to do it every year or every two years. Uh, for 22 years, as of June 6, 1996, the evening of June 6, 1996, he's been in illegal custody. He hasn't had a trial. He's never been convicted of a crime. He's never been convicted of a crime before. And he worked as a court officer at the Supreme Court in uh, both Brooklyn and um, State Supreme Court and also in Riverhead, which is out east on Long Island. Uh, he carried a gun to work every day. He had a collection of firearms, and he's the most passive, upright, upstanding, law-abiding gentleman you would ever hope to meet. The powers that be, Joe, they really uh, want to go out of their way now and have been doing so for the past couple of decades in framing this strictly as a mental health issue, not wanting to have it seen within the context of a legal issue whatsoever. Absolutely. So that's one of the key points uh, that often uh, Peter Moon, among others, uh, emphasize when uh, whenever they get a chance to speak on podcasts or radio shows such as this. But let's just uh, kind of put the brakes on that for now because there's just so many different uh, particularities and intricacies that uh, we could get into there as far as specifics are concerned. Thank you. Certainly. You did a really great job in doing that. But just and brief before we shift the focus then over to Mr. Morningstar, just a quick thumbnail sketch then. Who is Joseph Sapardo? It's public knowledge, of course. You hold a John's power of attorney. What else can you tell us about yourself, just in, in brief? Um, I've been uh, associated with the uh, Long Island UFO Network since the mid-1980s as a uh, scientific consultant and uh, field investigator. And uh, the entire organization uh, was completely 100% legal because John doesn't do anything any other way. In fact, he went through the trouble of registering it as a not-for-profit organization with the state of New York and filed quarterly tax returns. Of course, no money was made. You know, he actually pumped his own money into this. And um, just a shame to see a man like that in one swoop, taken from someone who's highly respected, not only in his local community, but in the UFO and researching community, a well-spoken, well-educated man, just taken away and warehoused, literally, in a... Um, fixed environment, which is shared by axe murderers and rapists and people who don't know their own name or think they're somebody else, or if you've ever spoken with him or had any dealings with him at all, you would immediately come to the conclusion that there's nothing wrong with him. His former attorney, just prior to the new one we got now, stated on the record on a different radio network, if they were walking together down the streets of New York City, People would look at the attorney ten times when if they if they looked at John once. That's the Inception Radio Network, I believe, IRN. Correct. That's correct. They've yeah, yeah. been really generous with their time. They produce twenty four shows with uh, multiple attendees. 
virtually every question has been asked and answered, and we still dig deeper. There was also a fundraising element to that because attorneys are very expensive and, you know, private investigators are very expensive. And um, I'm pretty severely ill and I'm having to deal with this as power of attorney to deal with his uh, personal issues, taxes, every little thing that requires his signature. I have to do from the outside. And while I'm doing this, I'm being... um, continuously harassed. My life's been threatened more times than I can think. They do not want John released. Principal reason being that they tampered with evidence and they manufactured evidence and they know that they did something wrong to cover up the ill deeds of of the uh, alleged victims. And John is uh, in a position to uh, file a tort action. It's a civil action against the county, uh, against certain individuals, against the state of New York, against doctors, and against the hospital for a whopping sum of money, something that would break the uh, the county budget and, and put a really big dent in the state budget. It's gotten to that point. You just don't do that to someone and then say, okay, you can go now after 22 years. He was in his uh, late 40s. When he was arrested, and he's now, he'll be 70 this year. That's right. You know, it's interesting talking about all the funny business that's been taking place, not only behind the scenes, but also right out in the open with people and their um, personal health and well-being openly threatened. Maybe that's a good segue, as we can shift the focus now over to Robert Morningstar. Apparently, his website, UFOdigest.com recently went down under rather mysterious circumstances. Now, I know you've been busy with the latest regarding the RFK assassination. You're thinking that maybe that might have something to do with it, and which it, it may very well. But at the same time, don't forget, uh, you uh, recently republished and uh, edited some material regarding the John Ford case, uh, uploading it to your UFO Digest website. It puts today's date on it, but actually this was about six years or seven years ago. There was another effort by uh, a lady who was helping John try to get parole. And so I published John's letter, and you're free to put this link on your website if people want to really know the whole story. By the way, Joe, it's very good of you to take this on. It's a noble thing you're doing, and I feel very bad for John Ford. I appreciate that. Sorry. I just wanted to say We all need good friends, especially when we get in trouble. I tried to help John as much as I could, uh, publishing and keeping his case in in the uh, public eye. What wasn't mentioned is really the outrageous, the outrageousness of the false charges that were posed against John. They claimed that he had tried to assassinate, he was planning or had tried to assassinate local uh, town officials by taking radium that he had stolen or would steal from Grumman, uh, the site where he worked, and put it in the man's toothpaste. That is the charge, that he was planning to take radium and put it into the victim's toothpaste tubes. So they brush their teeth with the, the radium and get cancer and die. And those are the charges. So the whole story is in this multi-page article that dates back to the old UFO Digest, 
But there you get John's story directly. I did get to meet him, as I said. I drove out there with Dr. Gary Null of Pacifica Radio and uh, WBAI in New York to interview him and to see the video. I later got to see the video of the wreckage and the burns, uh, the burning bushes and uh, what crashed. The ironic thing for me was that this UFO crashed right, oh, I'd say a quarter mile from where I learned to fly. And in those days, I was flying very regularly out of uh, Brookhaven Airport. And so I took some flights afterwards uh, to take a gander at the crash area. But, you know, from uh, you know, a 1,000 feet, they don't let you fly too low. Actually, fortunately, I could fly low because it was on approach to the airport. But they had really sanitized the area. And the interesting thing is it's this, air, this uh, UFO crash occurred just a few miles from the Brookhaven Nuclear Research Laboratories where they have the ring. That's one of the landmarks when you're flying out there in that region of Long Island. Shirley, Brookhaven, there's this giant ring you see from the air next to Lake Ronkonkoma. There's a big lake and then there's the giant ring. It's just like a whole area of forest and land has been denuded and it's all brown. You can see the berm of the... Um, the cyclotron, uh, the uh, the accelerator. It's not a linear accelerator. It's a, a ring accelerator at that place. And there are stories about Brookhaven being connected underground to Montauk and to other sites offshore, even on Fire Island. I've had my share of UFO experiences there, brothers. But anyway, it's really an outrage that they did this to this man. So I drove out there with Dr. Gary Null, and we were going to uh, have him on the show. But John... As Joe said, he doesn't do anything uh, illegal, and he does everything technically very legally. And he wanted Gary to sign a non-disclosure agreement before seeing the video. And Gary, you know, didn't accept those terms. So we drove out about 80 miles from New York City to see him, and we had the meeting, and I met him. And we were affable and friendly. But when it came to signing the uh, non-disclosure agreement... Gary said, how can I sign a non-disclosure agreement if I'm going to have a guy on the radio and tell the story on the radio? And what am I going to do? Not describe what I've seen? So that was the, the, the fly in the ointment. And so we headed home and left it at that. And then I heard about John's arrest and the charges. And I put my hand to my head and said, holy mackerel, how can anybody even believe or see that that could possibly be true? But they surrounded him with surveillance and snitches who made up false stories. This whole story was about a joke. I mean, it started off as a joke around a campfire drinking beers. And he said something like, yeah, man, we should go over and get some radium. He deserved that. You know, something like that. Some joke. And they, the informant, took that to the police. Now, the other interesting thing about John Ford is how closely aligned he was with the police. He worked uh, as an informant for the New York City Police Department. He used to take photographs of people. He went through the court system as a guard, a security guard in the New York City courts and then the New York State courts. So I guess they were really worried about him because he was a very serious person and he was connected to law enforcement. And he was not that easily to be discredited. So they framed him. I believe there's even claims, in fact, of him having 
worked as a CIA asset of sorts too. So that's something that I think Joe Eminon knows a little bit more about. Something that people such as Christina Taft are interested in getting a clearer picture of. It really does uh, serve to thicken the plot, though, the web of intrigue. I mean, this is straight out of a Hollywood movie, frankly. And the thing that really, which I don't, says a lot to me, really, regarding, for example, just the extent and level of corruption in South Haven. Some people call it uh, Brookhaven, which others refer to, I guess, as uh, Crookhaven, is one of the more well-known monikers yeah, referring to the region. They're adjacent, they're adjacent to each other. They're yeah. like two neighborhoods of the same region. In fact, the park itself, I believe, borders right on Brookhaven and, and, and South Haven. It's right there on the... Yeah, it's called the South Haven Park. That's yeah. the name, South yeah so i mean this it's quite a it's a web of intrigue and it's a real um there's just so many layers to the onion when it comes to the story here and um the bottom line though once again is that the powers that be are wanting to frame this as a mental health issue saying that john is simply insane and out of his mind even though as you pointed out robert and I don't think it was really made clear, although we've done this in other episodes. People want to check out the archives that we have put together here. Links are available in the show description area. And when you hear, oh, radium or radioactive material on, on these politicians, toothbrushes, Great. which it's a, if you listen to the context of things, it was a, it was meant as a total joke. It, what John didn't know though at the time, obviously, was that he was getting set up. He was in the process of being framed and taken down because of his involvement in and his investigation into this illegal dumping operation, which you would imagine there would have been not just the hand of local politicians involved, but also more further organized crime elements as well with the mob and so forth. So he really just walked into a, a hornet's nest there. Here's the thing, just let me, I'll just quickly, just to end things here, Robert, is that with this radioactive uh, radium material, it's used to calibrate their Geiger counters. All UFO investigators, typically, you need this sort of material, don't you? That may be so. I have not worked a lot with Geiger counters, so I wouldn't know that. But I do know how difficult it is to get toothpaste back into the toothpaste tube. <laughs> and I know how difficult it would be to get into the house and the bathroom of some local town official and sneak in there with radium squeeze out the toothpaste and squeeze it back in with the radium that is insane there's so travesty of justice oh absolutely i think and that's most of us do agree and that's why we've managed to attract the now eight people is what it looks like via youtube that have dropped by so that's great big shout out to everybody who is uh wanting to participate and engage in the youtube chat area including christina taft of course find the truth Johnny Canuck. Let's see who else we got here. Just scrolling up. Mr. Anderson, Sword Point Nine, Joe Triple Three. Just a whole bunch of people. Sons and Daughters of Liberty. It's a recent uh, subscriber to our channel. So, quick question though for you, Robert, before we just continue just the rotating fashion here, hearing uh, sure. just people's uh, stories and so forth, background, uh, biographical information and whatnot. Did you ever get a chance to meet Joe Eminon? You know, Joe, I've I've heard about you and read things uh, you've written. I think it was we were exposed to each other's uh, streams on um, UFO updates. That's how I kept up with John Ford. But Joe and I have not met personally, to my knowledge. You're both New Yorkers, too. Yeah. Well, sometime in the near future, perhaps we can. That, that'd be fine with me. No problem. 
Very good. I wanted to straighten out something for you guys uh, regarding this uh, CIA or government involvement with John. It's really a, tra- a travesty. Uh, Geiger counters are, are, are common equipment for use and seeing if, if, if something did in fact land or make a close flyby and a number of people saw it, you know, uh, you need a magnetometer and a properly calibrated Geiger counter. And often there were more than one investigation crew going out on different investigations. In other words, four people on one, four people on another. And uh, with regard to the uh, signing of uh, non-disclosure, we all had to sign that. We were uh, avowed to not disclose the name or addresses of these people that were calling in. A few years uh, before that happened, the rate of calls coming into the uh, hotline for investigations uh, went from maybe 10 or 12 a week to close to 100 a week. So we were pretty hard-pressed for this, and we could only discuss it amongst ourselves. And um, John would take this information, and uh, everything had to be just right, and uh, we had to take circuitous routes to and from the residences, sometimes going there three or four times, double-checking, or one team would switch off with another. Now, the radium that we're talking about, there's two different things about the radium. First of all, the radium that's used for the Geiger counters is on a strip on the side of the old Geiger counters, which is what John purchased. He had one which had a strip, and he went to a um, swap meet the week before he was arrested, and picked up uh, another two or three guy. I can't remember because he stopped here on the way home. And the photograph that you see of him with the, the smiling, that's actually in my kitchen. And I just took that quick snapshot to finish off a roll of film in one of those disposable cameras because I wanted to use the electronics board to generate high-voltage uh, pulses for a project I was working on. So I wanted to get rid of the film, and then I realized when it was developed, there was a nice shot of John, and they had been using his mug shot on uh, Richard Smith's uh, website, which has links to lawyer and so forth. But let me advise you about the radium first. In the uh, communication that was broadcast without John's permission or consent, broadcast and recorded, it was obviously jocular, but they go by transcripts. It was also a very poor quality transmission, and I was able to pick it up and record it on my own, and I realized that they were using 27 minutes of a 58-minute recording, and most of the conversation was between Joe Mazzuccelli and the uh, confidential informant. His name was uh, uh, Kevin Koch or Kevin Kutch. He actually worked for the district attorney's office, and what's very odd about this is uh, anybody that knows about law enforcement knows that if an uh, officer makes an arrest or if there's an investigation going on, it's done by the police. In this case, it was being done through the district attorney's office. And the reason for that was the district attorney was a very staunch supporter of John Powell, the head of the Republican Party in Suffolk County and the uh, executive legislator of uh, Suffolk County. So he was indebted to him 
in many ways. And he set up his own cherry-picked group of two or three people to investigate John and use him as a scapegoat. John ordered some radium ore, which is perfectly legal, and that's sprinkled on some duct tape and patched to the side of the Geiger counter so you can test the qualitative uh, evaluation of a dosimeter that's plugged into the Geiger counter that picks up the heavy, fast particles. Every time a particle goes through that little slit, it ionizes the gas and, and you hear a click. The radium that he had that they never found because it had already been used on the Geiger counters, uh, that wasn't in his house. What they had done was they had taken the uh, 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 radium from Grumman, which was in 20 or 25-pound coffee can-sized leaded containers. It was a small bottle, about two-thirds of an inch across and about three inches tall with some radium, metallic radium in it, which didn't even glow in the dark. It was dead. They used that for testing the F-14s, testing for stress fractures and so forth. But John did not have any radium in the house. Uh, he had a small piece of radium ore that he sanded and and put on, on the uh, sticky side of uh, duct tape, and that went on the Geiger counters, and that was that. Now, uh, as far as CIA connections, which everybody seems to be uh, concerned about, including the uh, government in New York State, because they're using his allegations that he worked, quote-unquote, worked for the CIA as a delusional disorder. Now, I don't know. You have somebody on here, obviously, that knows. If you're working for the CIA, you don't have a card that says you're working for the CIA. You don't have an identification card, first of all. Second of all, John's a number of years older than me, and um, he was going to a a college in New York City during the Vietnam era. He reported uh, a bomb threat, I believe, from some group of people that were trying to uh, make the uh, ROTC building unusable. They paid him in cash. He was a non-operative combat, which means that he had someone that presented himself as being from the, from the CIA, paid his expenses and so forth, and um, he would turn in these uh, they were looking for connections to, uh, obviously, to Russia, that's the Soviet Union at the time, to see if they were funding or uh, otherwise giving uh, assistance, information, you know, money, whatever, access to the people who were attempting to do harm against the country as they saw it. So that was John's connection to the CIA, his principal connection. His secondary connection was someone that he had uh, he knew from college. He was urged to maintain a friendship with him and report on his whereabouts and things that he said and did from time to time for about 16 years. Now, of course, um, this stopped before John uh, was, uh, was arrested, and maybe a year or two before. Uh, it went on for quite a while, approximately 16 years off and on total. But John was, he wasn't an employee of the uh, Central Intelligence Agency or any other government agency. He was only a non-operative combatant, and he felt that it was his patriotic duty to do this. 
So he's basically, he's a right winger. I mean, you know, he's someone you wouldn't think I would get along with. <laughs> That's the sum and substance of it all. Sounds like and, an, uh, so what many would refer to as a, as an asset, basically. So Exactly. Uh, yeah. we got to keep things moving along here. Joe Roberts yeah. got, only got a few minutes, and he's so, got to take off. So we got to – yeah, go ahead, Robert. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, Joe, where are the tapes today? Who holds the tapes that John Ford took of the UFO that crashed in South Haven Park? Because that's the whole thing that this is about. We haven't really mentioned the tapes. Do you know where they are? Who has them? Uh, actually, now the uh, file cabinets for all the uh, tape archives, audio and video, as well as the uh, document files, were confiscated. There were, you know, a number of filing cabinets in a separate office. Although the office was in his house, it was separate and distinct from his home and residence. <laughs> First of all, they didn't have a warrant. I was wrong on the date. The date of the warrant was the uh, 14th, and this occurred on June 12th, okay? Well, may I say that with power of attorney, I think it's within your purview to be able to request those materials now that it's 22 years later, and you well, are his attorney. Maybe you can request those to be returned to you. Well, unfortunately, uh, uh, someone else in the organization did that and was given uh, both the papers and the um, he threatened to press charges. He made a few phone calls. He went down there with a truck. He picked up everything. He brought it to his house and um, someone broke in and took the filing cabinets and everything in them. Okay. Histories of everyone that belonged to uh, Long Island UFO Network. Uh, the cases we worked on uh, everything, literally. Uh, this stuff was literally stolen. And they left the door open, they bypassed the alarm, and they left computers and a flat screen TV and so forth untouched. And this was so, a burglary? Uh, like a deep state uh, operation. It was, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Ivorone actually got them. Steve Ivorone and uh, Tony West went down there to pick them up. Much of the material was missing, but there was some of it was there. His truck was impounded because the truck was unlocked in front of the house. That's where they planted the actual radium ore. Uh, I'm sorry, the actual radium, metallic radium from Grumman. They had never been opened. They were in the back of a small Mazda pickup truck, which he left unlocked in front of the uh, house. And they didn't have a warrant to search it. And they didn't have a warrant on the day they, they raided his house. They had police cars and a, and, a, and a van down there and a SWAT team. And the news media actually arrived before the police. So something very, very dirty was going on. Rather than getting bogged down too much in the case particulars, because if people want to get up to speed on these things, they can go back into the archives and find sure. uh, these things out for themselves, which we recommend they do. And they can contact us, myself, or you, or... Well, anyone they like, and we can help uh, just point them in the right direction or clarify well, things as far as where the issues stand regarding the case. But mostly for today, yeah. the, the key, key operative word was auspicious from the get-go, the launch of uh, episode 111, Pirate Radio Podcast. Myself, of course, being your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, 
um, and that would be the Robin Hood ship. Yeah. Jaff, Jaffe Ryder, along with uh, Robert Morningstar dropping in here, as well as Joe Eminon, Christina Taft, who we've yet to hear from, and we're looking forward to that just in a minute here, and up in the crow's nest, Kaiser Schaff. But really, with the auspicious end of things, that there's been some recent developments in his case. He's taken on board a new legal team to the tune, I guess, of about $25,000. And, uh, there's, you know, also there was supposed to be, I just reposted this on my timeline. I just saw that it was on your Facebook page. So I figured I would share it on mine, but did this court date today with the new legal team not take place? Uh, the court date was, um, uh, June 6th. Initially it was supposed to be adjourned. And at the last minute they called John down to the, uh, he had to go down to the courthouse. So he was packed in a van with two other people and he was taken to the courthouse and held in a, you know, in a waiting area, handcuffed. Um, he waited there. His attorney had to appear because there was a conflict with the, uh, testimony that was going to be given by the doctor that we hired to evaluate John's condition. Uh, and he's evaluated John a number of times. Uh, he was not able to appear in court, and the attorney had to make arrangements for a, uh, a different court date. And I found that just this afternoon that that court date is um, middle of July. I believe it's the 14th. Uh, it's in front of a judge. There's going to be direct testimony from John, direct testimony from the psychiatrist at the hospital, psychologist, and uh, and 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 uh, all opposing uh, testimony, with the exception of mine and a few other people. Uh, that's being held because as soon as the judge rubber stamps it again and sends him back, he's going to file for an immediate jury trial. That's the plan, and uh, a jury should be picked by Friday, I believe the second or third week in um, in July, and I'm supposed to be up the following week, either uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, to testify regarding what I know about the uh, case, which is, uh, uh, is substantial concerning the evidence. The new lawyer's name is uh, who exactly? And he is, you're saying he's on board with the idea of basically working towards a jury trial over the next short little while. Is that what we're looking at here? Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's uh, Stephen Metcalf is the uh, new lawyer right. and uh, he was he was involved with the marty was it marty marty or marvin i forgot uh, tankless who was in prison for 17 years when he was 17 he was uh, accused and convicted of uh, murdering his parents and it turns out they found the the real killers and his uh, his alibi checked out and that he had nothing at all to do with their murder he was immediately released from prison. Uh, he won a court settlement, and with that, he started some type of foundation. He selects lawyers and and cases that will, would go together if he uh, is convinced that the person being held in custody is not guilty of anything. And uh, he'll only go after sure win cases. This is Metcalf so, that we're talking about Me now? Right. Okay. Metcalf was an attorney picked by uh, Tankliff, the gentleman who was in prison. Metcalf uh, has set up the foundation, not not Tankliff, but Metcalf. No, no, Tank, 
Now, Tankliff set up the foundation. Ah, okay. With the, how much okay. money did he receive as part of his uh, settlement? I don't know the exact amount, but I know it's a matter of public record. Uh, we're, talking mil- to, we're probably talking millions, I'd imagine. Probably, yeah, that's, probably that's, millions or t- tens of millions, And possibly. that is one of the issues here. One of the concerns that Suffolk County obviously has, you would imagine, they're already in financial trouble as it is. In fact, the Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Facility, I believe, was even had recently been facing a, a shutdown of sorts. At least that's how things were looking from what my research has indicated. So you can bet if things evolve or get to the point, progress in a, in a positive way here for John, that's uh, Suffolk County. <laughs> James Forrestal was a, I think Robert uh, probably knows a little bit more about this as far as the details are concerned, but I think he was America's first secretary of the Navy being himself admitted to a psychiatric institute think from what I understand, Truman had a bit of a hand in having him put away. But as things turned out, he was set for release. uh, And just the day before his brother came to pick him up, ended up either falling or some would have it jumping or quite possibly even pushed from whatever story window, the floor he was located on to his death, of course. We're uh, hoping that uh, because of the threat that John poses, uh, he is obviously a, a figure uh, for for justice and and corruption too, which really his case does it's you know really in a big way reflect the depth of the an extent of of the corruption. It just if people will look into this, they will I think hopefully reach the same conclusions, finding that uh, it, there's there's good reason it's referred to as uh, as Crookhaven, unfortunately. So, and it's time maybe that they worked on cleaning up their act, I suppose. So if Metcalf can have a hand in this, it would go a long way, hopefully then to painting a more positive image and rebranding the region in a more favorable light. So let's just kind of uh, put the brakes on things there and shift the focus over to Christina. I'm not sure how long Robert's got left here. He said only an hour. We're kind of uh, approaching the the top of the hour here, but uh, his contributions, as always, have been very much uh, valued, and we hope that you and and uh, he uh, joke and manage to uh, get together here at some point. I think there'd be some really great synergy emerging from that meeting. Definitely we want to hear Keep us up to speed uh, of any uh, future uh, developments on that front. So, Christina, though, you are the, uh, I guess, essentially de facto founder of the Everyday Psych Victims Project. What's your take on things? I know that you've had a chance to look into a few of the particulars regarding the John Ford case. Just uh, what, off the top of your head, are your central thoughts as far as the way that uh, his case has uh, evolved? Well, I read his letter, and basically what it is, there are these people that are called target individuals, too, and they always get caught in the psych wards and into psyche valves. So if he goes on and says that he worked with any agencies or even mentions the CA, um, you can even mention, like, FEMA camps or, like, you can even joke around, like, oh, I don't work for the CA, ha-ha, and then they'll actually do more force on you, like, restrain you or something. So as for all that, like, he needs to definitely say that he does not work for them and he has no experience with that. 
Um, I know it can sound bad to say that you lied, but actually it's better off and they will let you go more likely and say it's not a mental thing because they'll believe that they cured you, but, you, you know, you actually weren't cured. You're just saying that it was a lie or something. Um, as for saying things against the government, I read his, you know, his letter goes on saying all this, like, don't believe what they say and everything. He just, it definitely needs to not say that. Um, as for the, you know, he gets very detailed about some things in the letter, which makes you wonder if he, you know, they even said he had law enforcement experience, so maybe he did go on investigations. But as for that, he needs to not mention it. And jury trials definitely recommended. Um, usually, they might even drop a case before a jury trial happens. But they're obviously going to go in, and they're going to say that look, he said he worked for the CIA, or he did. He talked to people who were undercover, like with the KBG and all these other things. And all of that's going to be hard for him to say because people are very believing in the mental scam. Why? And that people can't just freely think what they want. People can't imagine what they want. People can't say what they want. And so if he wants to get out of that, you definitely need to just say, like, it was a lie. And they might even just be like, oh, I so-called cured this person, but it wasn't actually a cure. You know, they're just not saying that they believe that and then go on you know later and you could say that when you're out but also another thing is that you know with the conspiracy obviously it sounds like I haven't listened to the tape but they obviously went in there with the wire and informant and could have done leading questions about what they were saying and maybe they got so scared about it being the government and decide to plead you know you know, the insanity case was actually as bad because it can be indefinite for a lifetime, and a lot of people don't know that. So it's definitely not recommended to plead that way, even though they show it in movies. Oh, it's supposed to be better off, but actually it can be indefinite. So we had an interview with Freeman, and not even like that. He was uh, in jail for five years, and then they went and took him back into a mental hospital, and you know, keeping him indefinite. So he's been there like 12 years. So it's another similar thing where the lawyer will say, oh, plead this, and then it actually could be longer. I mean, I don't know if he could have had possibility for parole, even if they had said he was guilty, and it was 25 years to 75 years. But as for the current day, he uh, he needs to say that, I don't know, it was all a lie and just kind of erase try to erase the history but that would be very hard that's just what i recommend and it would be anytime when you say things against the government or the agencies that you know as people thousands of people actually there are thousands of these you know so-called target individuals just on facebook groups and they constantly get harassed for just thinking or believing that they're targeted so you know it happens to anyone you know it doesn't matter their background Christina, if I if I can jump in for a moment, um, he was in fact a law enforcement officer. He was a uniformed officer of the court for uh, 22 years for state supreme court in New York, and he had a, a full carry permit for a pistol. Okay, and there was never any problems with that. But uh, on your on your take on the you know uh, I'll just admit to it, Peter Moon. Um, 
he's of, of some notoriety, uh, wrote several books on time travel and so forth. Being a quantum physicist, I don't believe in that. But the major problem with that is he did, in fact, um, work as a non-operative combatant for the CIA. And Joe Mazzuchelli is the one who convinced him unequivocally that he was uh, being looked after by the uh, Mossad and went so far as to introduce him to someone in an office somewhere in the Diamond District in New York City where he met people who were allegedly in the Mossad and told them that they were interested in uh, his uh, investigations and so forth. So this thing was a very, very long con for John. And what he was saying there is exactly what was exactly what happened. Basically, he can't very well say that he lied about something and then expect to go in there and uh, file a court action lawsuit saying they kept me in there because I thought I worked for the CIA when he did, in fact, work as a non-operative combatant for CIA handlers for two different cases one being uh, his uh, friend from college for 16 years and the other being his uh, college activities where he reported directly to a CIA uh, officer. As far as the other, the Mossad, that was pounded into his head over a period of eight to ten months by Joe Mazzuchelli, the alleged co-conspirator who uh, ultimately, uh, he pled guilty and he he, uh, did serve... uh, I believe five or six years in jail and five years on probation uh, was released somewhere in around 2003, 2004. So, uh, John, what he's saying is a fact. He was in law enforcement for quite a long time. He was working with the CIA. He never said that he was an agent for the CIA. He was never paid as an agent. Um, he provided them with information. And Joe Mazzuchelli had him convinced that the Mossad was uh, watching after him and uh, they wanted information from him. So I can leave it at that. I can only make recommendations to John, but I seriously doubt if he's going to back down from this. The primary reason he took the insanity defense to begin with was because as a court officer, if he's found guilty of even one felony, even the most minor felony... Yeah, he could have been out of jail in a year and a half. He he would have lost the entirety of his pension, which is about $2,000 a month. Be in jail for 20 years or indefinite? Uh, it's definitely well, better to not have a pension. Well, they could have put him in jail for, uh, you know, 15 years, I think, was the total. That's way less than 25. I'm just saying, yes, it would have been less without the mental health. The thing is, it doesn't matter if someone put it in his head. That's the whole psyops thing is that they diagnose people and then they put them into experiments and then they lock people up. And if they don't say reverse train or say it it was a lie, they're not involved with any of that. They're just a regular person. They will keep them and they will label them. And that's the whole mental health game. So they will. Right. There's no way to win that way. You just have to say that you're happy. You don't believe anything. And, you know, it's a lie. It doesn't matter if you worked. Well, even if he did work for law enforcement, you can just say he was just a regular law enforcement grunt or something. He doesn't have to say that he went agents. Like, there's no proof for that. And 
that is what they'll use. They'll use that. That's the psyops game. They can put it in your head, and then they'll just you're still guilty in their mental health field system. It doesn't matter if it was put in your head. It was your diagnosis, and that's your thing. So of course, people can do that with psyops or psychological operations or put things into people's heads and then change the reality. But that doesn't matter. The psych people will say that they're mentally ill and keep them forever and that they're dangerous, but even though it was placed in their head. Labeling yeah, is really a central part of the way that the so-called mental health game is played, uh, the psychiatric industry and whatnot, and the way that uh, so many people are uh, warehoused. So it's a major cash cow industry uh, where you find all too many cases, uh, there's a lot more politics involved in things and what it seems a lot of people are willing to either appreciate or acknowledge. But uh, on that count, let me just uh, ask you a little further, Christina, if you could just in a just a brief thumbnail sketch, because we want to shift kind of pass the talking stick over to Kaiser here up on the crow's nest, see how things are uh, looking from his vantage point high aloft as he is up in the, the mass and the, uh, the sails and so forth, the rigging, as it were. But just a quick overview rundown of what the Everyday Psychiatric Victims Project is all about, your mandate, as well as uh, how it first came into being. Right. So Everyday Psych Victims Project, it's actually not psychiatric, it's psych, so that includes psychology and mental health. So one of our taglines, the only anti-mental health organization, and we have Psych Victims of Voice. So actually, it started in august 2016 and so mostly we've been on facebook though we're creating a website is that well actually i was a victim of what i guess was mcrealtor related from texas christian university so i actually do understand the psyops part of it and about two years later i created everyday psych victims project and that also helps reverse train whatever that they try to pound in you with the force uh whether that's drugging like burning blood like acid which should happen for two weeks and trying to make it feel like everyone's after you that you know it's even your neighbors and like because after when you go to near-death experiences you know it seemed like it was and poisoning or whatever which of course it doesn't matter to them what happens you know they'll try to twist you up and people say you're diagnosed get suspended from school you know all that so the whole point of that was to bring an alternative and you know we're not with the cchr we're not with the mad pride thing or anything like i'm against the mad just natural variations People have natural reactions, and they're turning these natural reactions, which they can manipulate you into feeling, into disorders. So that's kind of the idea with Everyday Psych Victims Project. We have about over 3,400 followers, and then recently, last night I lost my access to Facebook, but there are other people on it, and our website's almost up, and we have a YouTube we do interviews with people to try to give the victims a voice instead of the psychologists, psychiatrists, or mental health workers because they're all kind of in it. You know, they're medically trafficking people, basically, and saying this or that for their natural reactions to adversity. So that's also gives me, you know, some knowledge about how they react to you saying things against the government or, you know, PSYOP-like things because, you know... It really is damaging, and they really try to twist you, and you really have to repeatedly reverse train that, you know, doesn't happen and all this stuff. 
So they definitely can, and they'll just blame you. So that's just my advice for John Ford's case is that, you know, just say he's a regular law enforcement grunt and not go into the details about any kind of government or projects or CAA or agencies or anything because they will attack you and it doesn't matter if someone made you believe that your reality was different or made you believe that you were working for someone or that someone's after you and they weren't. It doesn't matter if someone did it to you because in their game it's just going to be blaming you and that's the whole point of why Texas Christian first diagnosed me in fall 2014 as a transfer student. I never had any diagnoses to start their MK Ultra experiment three months later, right? They'll leave a gap in there where everything's calm. And then, you know, they try to put things in your head that some things after you, the government or bioelectric signals or whatever, right? They don't say bioelectric, they'll say electric target individuals, but it's your whole body. It's not just your head. So just just my advice, you know, to just not say, you know, you, you didn't do that and you've, let them think that they cured you in some way, even if you didn't, you know, even though it's not actually true, it's just you moved on or something because they'll just keep them indefinitely. Like that other person, you know, indefinite would have only been five years, but because, you know, they were talked into it for pleading at first and then they at first, you know, was checked out and they came back and took them again um, after trying to do that. So definitely don't plead insanity for anybody listening and just those people you always lose end of story and you just have to pretend you don't think anything we have got you coming up actually on friday october 19th is where you've been booked here to join us aboard the robin hood and as a feature guest on pirate radio podcast i'm not sure how much we're going to get into the everyday psych victims project i suppose a little bit but the main focus there i think will be your latest undertaking which is uh social networking online uh information sharing platform worldy.com i believe is the main url we can get into that more i suppose when you join us here on the 19th we've only got 15 more minutes so christina so let's just shift the uh i'm not sure if there's anything more well you've kind of summarized things quite well there as far as your opinion and view of things is concerned whether john's legal team decides to take that route and adopt that strategy time will tell but most definitely yes the labeling end of things is really of course once again quite a central part of the way that the uh diagnoses of various people with their so-called uh, mental issues takes place it's uh, indeed quite a racket, including all the uh, pharmaceuticals that are involved as well, too, of which apparently John himself has not been partaking for quite a while now, I guess. He's no longer required to medicate himself with these pharmaceuticals, as was the case, I guess, for a number of years during the first few years, I, I guess, when he first was a patient at Mid-Hudson Institute. Just briefly, though, before we, uh, and we'll come back around to you in a second here, Joe, but uh, let's see if he's, I think he's made his way up there, cause, and it's important that we do hear from him, of course. Okay, I think we managed to patch through to uh, Kaiser up there in the crow's nest. Did you make it, Kaiser? How are things looking from... Hi, matey. I see a little bit of unintended uh, obfuscation happening, and it's only because people don't know terminologies. 
Uh, as everybody knows, I used to I served in the military starting at 17, went on to work for two DOD agencies and Homeland. So about I'm going to be 50. I've got about 33 years almost in service. I'm still a contractor to this day. <clears throat> the thing that gets me is I have worked around these different... First off, if you work for an agency, you're going to get some sort of certificate. And yes, CIA officers do have credentials, okay? They're officers. They're not agents. Let's get the terminology correct. Agents are spies of foreign nations. You have confidential informants that work through an officer, either a legit case officer who works as, say, somewhere... Let's say he, he's a Department of Agriculture at an embassy. That is a case officer, a legit case officer. You also have Knox, non-official covers. This thing that was brought up earlier, I think, um, I think it's getting confused. I gotta go back up and look. But, uh, um, it was said, let me see, it was said that, uh, John said he was a non-operative combatant. I think they're getting that confused with a uh, a knock, which is a non-official cover officer, okay? But he wouldn't have been. He would have been a confidential informant, a CI. And th- from the description that Joe's given, that's exactly what he would have been called. He would not have been a non-operative combatant. Never heard of that terminology ever. And uh, just saying, you know, I think there's some mixing up of conversations and really words do matter and names do matter when you're in the game. Other than that, coast is clear. Let's head back towards Skull Island, brother. Yeah, it's great that we got that clarification regarding these terms. It can be a little confusing or complicated at times. I'm not sure. Did you, uh, you had a little more input to add as well, too, from what I recall, just in the brief few minutes that we were chatting in the lead up to today's live stream. I think you came across a website where something seemed to jump out at you. I, uh, if you want to just draw that to listeners' attention, now would be the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, that John, uh, that John, Joe has brought it up about John. He cleared up the, uh, he did mention the two press conferences that compared John to the Unabomber, uh, and also put Bell at a half a million dollars for him. That's one of the things that law enforcement will do. Trust me on this. They're looking to bankrupt you. You don't, don't believe me. Look at what they did to, uh, Flynn. And then, uh, all you have to do is think about that. And then the other one was where, uh, uh, Mazinski or something like that. I'm Ma- trying to find it right now. Joe Mazzuchelli? Mazzuchelli, that's it. Where they were both arrested on the same day, and Mazzuchelli said he was pulled out from a vehicle and basically said, and I, like I said, I believe Joe already brought those things to light, so that's why I didn't feel like it needed to be brought up, brother, being very honest and frank. He was uh, threatened to keep, yes. his, uh, to keep his nose out of the... You know, just not to Our get any further, yeah, quote, further yeah. involved in things. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Speaking of all the intimidation and inaction, uh, what I guess the, you know, certain insiders or players from the institutional end of things might like to try and pass off as mere incompetence, uh, when really there's something more to things is that 
we actually, it was the uh, Attorney General of New York, if you can believe that, the highest law of the land uh, in the entire state of New York. There's a show that we put together, I guess it was almost a couple years ago now, where we had, uh, well, I guess Captain Long John Sinclair appeared, and a few of the comments that he made that uh, it uh, disturbed, possibly even frightened them so much that they uh, responded by, well, I'm not sure. It was another almost like a cease and desist order to which, of course, uh, the captain just uh, chuckled. And, um, well, maybe, Joe, could you maybe feel Jaffe. listeners? Yeah, go ahead, Kaiser. Yeah. Can I say one last thing? It just sure. hit my mind. You betcha. People said people don't have credentials in the CIA. The CIA is not legally able to work in the U.S. unless they have auspices through the FBI, period, point blank. There was during the outbreak of the first war, of not the first Gulf War, but the, when we first went to Afghanistan, people can look this up. I can't remember the date. A uh, operative in Texas, I believe it was Dallas, uh, was transferring secret information, fully justified in everything he did, but he was killed by the police. Pictures came out with him shaking hands with Bush Sr. Uh, totally legit. He had credentials. So it was what we call a blue-on-blue shooting. Was, that, uh, that, was means, that the guy who was dragged? He was pulled out of his car and shot in broad daylight? with a vi- There's video right. footage of that on YouTube. Yeah, there's video footage. Yeah, there's video footage of it. Crazy. And uh, it was a high-speed chase. He went into his car to grab the secret documents because he is supposed to be in possession of those, and he has to ensure their safety. The cop, thinking he was going for a gun, blew him away. And it just, it happens. I mean, it's just, but see, that's where he's, he's an official cover guy, but he's just doing normal monkey move up work, you know, moving some sort of material to another place that needs to be kept safe. And it happens. So, well, that's right. Cops do not, uh, Christina just typed in, cops do not know what the other agencies do. They don't. And especially in agencies like those and a few others, they'll never know. They they can do a complete background check on you. They'll find your military. They'll find if you were a federal cop, but other things they won't find. And it's just the way that is. So you know, it's it's a it's a thing we used to call big boy rules. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna play with the big boys, you better be ready to uh, take a bullet for it. And hopefully that's something most of the crew here aboard the ship have considered, reflected upon, taken into into consideration. Uh, Most pirates, I think, that's all part and parcel. goes kind of together hand in glove with the line of work that they're a part of. So uh, now if only we could work on generating a little more loot and plunder to uh, make it worth our while, so uh, taking all these these risks and really we're, you know sticking our our necks out on the line as it were. So, uh, Pirate Joe, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, I, I've been in similar situations. I had to transport a station wagon full of manuals and test equipment to a base across Long Island Sound at the submarine base. We were working on something, anti-submarine warfare. 
my girlfriend and I took the ferry over and the car was completely packed with boxes and odd looking equipment and, you know, wrapped. And if I would have had to open any of that, I would have been, you know, <laughs> oh, God, I've been in so many circumstances. I've been shot at dangling from a helicopter. I've been in circumstances that where I came so close. And uh, after a while, you just get numb to it. Hollywood stuntman, I guess, and a bit of work on the sides, what you've been... How do you get shot at dangling from a helicopter? I was changing a ROM in a cell phone tower, and I thought I hit a bee's nest. I'm horribly allergic to bees. So I told the pilot to yank me out of there. I was on a bungee cord. You know, not a real flexy bungee cord, but, you know, a bungee cord where I could stabilize myself and hold onto the thing and take the box apart and, uh, you know, power it down. Feed the polynomial, dropped the ROM in without interrupting anything, and I was spotted by people on the ground, and I was being, I, what I thought were bees buzzing around me were actually shots going by my ear, and I, I still have a jacket where, where a bullet passed through the shoulder, the left shoulder of the jacket, and out the other side, and they didn't tell me that it was bullets until they were ready to pull me up. Why so, were you getting shot? <laughs> I'm sorry, I totally, why were they shooting at you? Well, because it was a cell tower and they were going to be using cellular communications for battlefield use. And uh, they distributed cell phones to a bunch of people. This is before the first Gulf War, all right? So I'm not going to say exactly where it was, but um, it was hot, okay? And, uh, and, and I was scared. thing is, I'm good with helicopters, I'm good with electronics, and I'm not afraid of heights. So they decided to call me out on that and pay me triple my usual pay just because I reprogrammed the thing based on uh, the original diagrams. Now, the one ROM where they would be able to tap into it, disable it, listen to anything, you know, listen to any of the uh, cell phone conversations in real time. And this was one of three, and it was the only one that, that I had any problems with, but it can get pretty scary, and uh, and also when you when you're a civilian and you walk onto a base, somebody salutes you. They go right into the brig. Um, I guess he knows about that as well. So I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to deflect from what's going on with John. But I've been through my uh, you know as far as what the operative term is called. I don't know. It was a, I was a subcontract. I was a, I was working for a company. That was a subcontractor, and we were providing what's called integrated logistics support and provisioning, technical manuals and programs and things like that, stuff that they don't want to do. They, you know, they farm it out to people with high-level high security clearances. So I, got, I was asked to do that. I was told it would be cash, no tax. You fly there, and it, and it, was, it was a rough ride there, but I got to go first class back. The ride there was in a, in a cargo transport, but the ride back was on on a nice plane most of the way. Anyway, it was kind of a scary. I've been I've been in those situations before, but as far as John is concerned, he may have had to go through somebody with you know in FBI, but he was told that he was doing. From what I understand, I asked him specifically about that because Christina asked me about it, and. Um, I never read the entire document. I think it's like 90 pages handwritten, and it's been scanned in. But, you know, uh, when he claimed CIA affiliations, 
they were absolutely CIA affiliations because it had to do with Russian uh, or Soviet during time of war, uh, you know, conflict in, the, in Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and so forth. And uh, he was in school, and they were trying to prevent, you know, harm or foul play or that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, he had every right to say it, even though he may not have had to bring that up. And um, as far as the other, yeah, he, he's already been, he's already told him that he's convinced Joe Massicelli was lying to him, and he was doing what he was told, and uh, probably in on the thing to get out of uh, some other arrest. So I just wanted to punch that in there. As far as the, uh, this is an important point, too, that Kaiser brings up, that as far as the CIA's mandate and operational marching orders are concerned, that they have no jurisdiction within the USA, apparently, whatsoever. That's completely outside their scope of operations in theory, I guess, you know, under the law. Unfortunately, as we all know, they are they completely abuse that and ignore it to the point where... Uh, the problem is, I think, checks and balances, frankly. That's one of the central mm-hmm. issues. There's no accountability. Jesse Ventura, for example, talked about this, how when he won the governorship of the state of Minnesota back, I guess, what was it, mid to uh, early 1990s, I'm, I'm guessing, somewhere in that area, that uh, shortly after that, he was taken downstairs. I think it was like the state senate or something along those lines. And sitting all around this table were all these just plain, ordinary-looking, everyday kind of people, a real kind of variety. and assortment maybe types like john ford or your uh, friendly uh next door neighbor uh housewife or grandmother type uh oh, yeah. and uh, they they introduced themselves as all being employees of the cia and, and what was first and foremost on their mind was how jesse managed to do it that was their concerns like how did you do it governor we want to know we want the secret formula or That's elixir amazing. so that of course That's we can prevent this from ever happening again in the future because you're an independent you're not part of this controlled system that we have in place with the phony you know left right democrat and republican red blue masonic con job basically that's been running now for well, so long i'm of the opinion that they've always operated within the united states when necessary without telling anybody and very often involving other people in dangerous things when they don't want to do it themselves. So I guess, uh, you know, that that sounds legit. You know, the people that actually operate and work for the CIA, you would never know that they are employed by the federal government. You know, they will pass as housewives and hippies and practically retarded people you know i mean it's like some of the people are just you know they're just right there off the wall completely off the wall department of defense much different they're pretty professional they operate where they want to operate and um i have no doubt about that jesse ventura story and with these intelligence agencies clear across the planet i guess from what i understand the bottom line what determines whether or not you are recruited into any number of these outfits, whether it's the CIA, KGB, Mossad, you name it, 
in Korea, I guess it's the, the KCIA. It's, it all comes down to your family lineage and your bloodline. That's the deal there, folks. So just, uh, throwing that out, little factoid. But, uh, anyways, I'm not sure if we've still got Robert Morningstar in the house or not. We're going to try to, I guess, wind things down. Bit of a free for all. Robert, any just, uh, closing comments or further just points you like to accent or emphasize that you think listeners, it's important that they hear about? regarding the John Ford case. Yeah, I think it's very, very important on dismantling the deep state. It's in its death throes. It's a threat to constitutional uh, government in the United States. CIA has operated within the United States. Uh, it's prohibited from operating in the United States, but when you look at all of the operations of the Cubans in Miami and Dallas and uh, New Orleans that led to the assassination of President Kennedy, it is clear that our enemy is the CIA. They killed the president. They killed his brother. They tried to get rid of Reagan. And it's out in the open now. They're trying to get a little bit of bloodless. We have to be. Well, it's interesting. You start talking about these matters and suddenly. Your stream is getting uh, targeted in some way for some reason, so you're breaking it up. It seems I, I do hear something is playing in the background that is not of my doing here, you know? I'm getting feedback of your show. It's playing back over my speakers. Is it music? I'm getting a delayed play. No, it's Joe speaking earlier in the show. I have no idea. That, that would have it's, to be on your end. It's all good uh, here. I, with your YouTube, maybe you got an extra window or two open there that you might want to check as far as the, the YouTube. Yeah, a, a second YouTube opened up. You found it, did you? Yeah, something popped your show on. It wasn't on before, but it came on. Anyway, I wanted to say that the CIA is operating illegally within the borders of the United States since the 1950s and 60s when they micromanaged the anti-Castro-Cuban movement and then redirected it to kill President Kennedy and then later in the 90s. The deep state is crumbling. We have to be careful. So I could and uh, oh, for speaking out because the other part of the control mechanism is the what I call the official state psychiatry mafia. I want to consider taking a, an insanity plea really is essential to preserve your freedom because she's right. John Ford may have gotten 15 years in jail if he had had the trial, but he's been in 22 in the psychiatric gulags in New York State. Is everybody else hearing this? The Robert Morningstar, I hope you're recording on your end, Robert, because we can, uh, if that's the case... So we have to be aware. And let us pray for the... Yeah, I hear it. And so that's what I want to say. Thank uh, I to you both to be on my program as soon as possible to listen and keep it in the public eye. Robert inviting Joe uh, Eminon and Christina Taft to appear together on his yes. uh, show here in the hopefully not too distant future. Unfortunately, most of what That'd he be great. what he was sharing with us there was uh, as was the case when we recently featured him on a show just a couple of weeks ago. Things were breaking up pretty badly, so let's hope yep. that Robert was recording his presentation there from his end, and we can maybe uh, work a little post-production magic to uh, 
make things sound a little more professional. So, Robert, no, were you, he were you was recording? cutting in and out. Yeah, it was, it was really bad from what I was hearing here. Robert, Absolutely. Are, you, are you recording as uh, hopefully is typically the case there, Mr. Morningstar? Jeez, I don't know. It's really unfortunate. So we'll talk to him maybe later or whenever we can manage to get back in touch with him. So uh, just in closing, though, uh, Joe, we've got some, once again, fingers crossed, I guess, and everybody should hopefully be thinking of John and doing all we can to direct that positive energy his way, doing whatever we can to better get the word out, I suppose, and uh, sharing links and uh, all that sort of great stuff, just helping to uh you know promote his case and cause obviously but uh joe just any uh closing thoughts or comments actually let's start with christina first maybe just in brief if we can do it then we'll just uh, circle around to uh joe and then kaiser and see where that takes us here just because we got to wrap up in the next couple of minutes just in brief christina how would you like to end your comments here this week sorry about him getting that new window open that's uh little disappointing about that for Robert because, I don't know, it was fall 2016 when a YouTube video was messed up on my end with the webcam coming on. I looked, I even recorded it. There was nothing playing in the background, so it was just on. During a Chuck scene where he gets out of a psych ward, so that's the MKUltra thing. Sorry, hopefully it doesn't have anything to do with me. Maybe it's nothing, but they said it wasn't there. As for all of that, back to John Ford. I would suggest him to just say that denial of it, right? Say um, he was making him think that, but not even just not even say that he even thought it at all. Maybe, you know, just try to like say like, oh, that's a lie. Or if it's brought up, maybe just like, that's a lie. Like no one's after me. No one was ever after me. Like nothing like that. So just try to, because for them, with these people, like, I don't know why he was on a list, and then they went in there with an informant, but it sounds like he was on some kind of list for some reason. So, um, you know, it's just best to deny, you know, any of that and just say you're a regular person, you don't believe anything. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want you to know that the reason they went after him, he was selected by the Conservative Party to be the uh, state Senate on the state Senate ticket. And second of all, there was uh, political animosity directed at him, and he was the perfect scapegoat because he would listen to people. He believed in UFOs. He had a registered UFO organization that they could look up. And the going thing at that time was if you believe in UFOs and you stick to that, you are automatically, you know, you're considered crazy. You're out of it. Okay. The link to the uh, intelligence agencies is secondary and only incidental and played really very, very minor or almost no part in the ongoing and continuing committals year after year. It was up until, I believe, 2013 when uh, when a judge said you could do the, the belief in UFOs doesn't necessarily make you demented, psychotic, delusional, or whatever. For 90 pages... Uh, I believe he goes on about UFOs, attempts to cover them up, attempts to cover the investigations up, and he makes uh, a few comments, maybe half a page of comments about how he was introduced to a Mossad officer or how he, he was engaged in activities with the CIA. 
To me, it's incidental, it's consequential, and it has nothing to do with him being in there. And they've never really brought it up. They've never brought it up as, a, as being a problem. They've never asked him to deny it. They've told him that you must believe that you intended to kill these people, and he will not acquiesce. And uh, that's the problem. He won't admit to having a mental disorder because he frankly doesn't. That's really where the situation lies right now. He will not admit to having a mental disorder or that he ever, from what you're saying here, at least if um, to get clear on things, that he ever intended to kill anybody in the first place. He's sticking, that's a story, and he's sticking to it. Is that right, Joe? That's absolutely right, and uh, I believe him 100%, because if he wanted to kill somebody, he could have done it from a half a mile away. He's an expert marksman. He had a variety of weapons, target rifles, uh, you know, massive scopes and so forth. Uh, nobody's going to break into somebody's house, three people, no less, and put radium, which they didn't have, in sugar packets or in toothpaste or under the seat of a car and in air conditioning vents and things like that. There's no possibility because he didn't have any radium, first of all. Second of all, it was jocular and it was a very fragmented part of the conversation, which was overtaken by Joe Mazzuccelli and the guy recording this for the district attorney's office, that fellow Mike Cooch. The way that it's all played out really has made a total mockery of the legal system. And you notice that I don't refer to this and now or at any point ever as a justice system. Big distinction there. Something for everybody to think about and be aware of. The whole situation is so politicized between the UFO incidents which we never really got into in a big way people can do that on their own time uh, and we can if they reach out to us do our best to direct them to the best sources of information so they can get a clear sense of the details and whatnot but then there's also the this the strictly you know the regional political end of things with the illegal dumping and those two coming together those two worlds colliding really set off a lot of fireworks obviously and i guess really led to what the conspirators felt would be necessary for um, him to be uh, set up and framed, ultimately uh, railroaded. You know, it's interesting, even with some of the videos that you've got, Joe, and this is something for people to know about, that on your channel, you have archived a handful of the local cable TV news reports that took place back in it was 97, 96, something in that. 96, okay. 1996. But what's interesting is the news reporter actually let it slip, where I think he, uh, I forget who he fingers exactly, whether it's Mazzuccelli or one of the other individuals, but he actually, he, he let it slip, talking about him being the ringleader of the conspiracy. Might have been John Rouse, in fact, if I'm, maybe I think it might, it was perhaps Rouse. It's quite something. I'll have to go back and check it myself, but he actually names him and then apologizes for what he thinks is a slip of the tongue. For me, it was a dead giveaway in the sense of he's kind of letting the cat out of the bag there. Oh, yeah. It was really quite telling. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Also, the guns, the display of guns, half of which weren't his. He had a, a receipt. He had the registration numbers, the rifles, uh, the shotguns, the pistols were all registered. They all had serial numbers. He never, he wouldn't even lend me a gun to go target shooting with, okay? So this guy is not doing anything illegal, you know, and certainly not with, uh, with the radioactive substance that they put in his truck.
And he, they admitted to it. If you look at the video, you go to my channel or to my girlfriend's channel. There's, uh, I believe, eight or ten videos, um, about 10 to 15 minutes each of uh, local broadcast. That was the lead story every single day up until the downing of Flight 800. And then it changed over to that, and John was lost. Right. What is your uh, YouTube address? I don't have it handy, but I will be happy to post it on WPRPN website uh, individually or or together. And if you, anybody has trouble getting into it, they can uh, contact me either on Messenger, on Facebook, or by email. Or Indeed. just give me a call. Or I'm in the book. Minds.com <laughs> would be another place where we could help. My, minds, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, under my real name on Minds. Uh, now, one of the things I've noticed is, and we're going to get to Kaiser Schaff here in just a second. I guess he has a question. But first of all, I'd just like to point out that I don't think that while there is a John Ford Initiative page in place, there is no actual group that anyone has put together over on Facebook. I've looked and I can't find one. So I think I might have to take it upon myself to do that here at uh, some point, in hopefully not too distant future, myself just being so really quite swamped here on a personal basis, as well as just the crew clear across the board. Really, everyone seems to have their hands full with all sorts of different projects and uh, different items on the go, of course. But that's one of the things I think that's definitely lacking, which could really help to increase the stature of John's case and his story, of course. So, Jaffe, uh, just so you know, uh, Richard Smith continues to run an independent page for the John Ford Initiative, okay, and uh, the URL is uh, John Ford, one word, lowercase, dot UFO teacher, lowercase, dot com. And if you go there, you can hear the uh, some of the recordings that I intercepted from his cell phone and from his house and from the police and from the district attorney's office, and you can read the entire uh, 90-page dissertation that he put out while he was uh, being in prison before he went to the uh, Psychiatric uh, Institute. And all kinds of links are on there, including the the attorneys. If you want to donate money, the stuff is on there. So it's a John Ford, one word, J-O-H-N-F-O-R-D dot U-F-O teacher dot com. Simple as that. Go there and ask any questions you want, and you can refer questions back to either Jaffe through PRPN, or you can ask me directly. I have no qualms about answering any question that I'm allowed to, other than very, very specific details that I'm going to be asked during the trial. Speaking of the links and recordings that you have uploaded over on the UFO Teacher website, there was one that I recall, I forget who it was exactly, it might have been Masicelli or Rouse, one of the better-known faces hanging up there in the Hall of Shame. Well, I can't really describe them in overly glowing or positive terms, unfortunately. They've done it themselves, I guess, really shot themselves in the foot with the way that they've treated people over the years and bound to have a, a karmic backlash at some point or another. But they talked about getting that prick, John Ford. Isn't that how they phrase things? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, John Powell, head of the Republican Party, there who was go. ultimately convicted yeah. Yeah. Uh, and served a six-year prison sentence. Right. And they got when he their came truck. out, they got their man. When he, when he came out, a nice, honest citizen was monitoring his phone conversations, 
and um, he called his uh, someone. He called someone in in his extended family to obtain morphine sulfate tablets. And um, this person uh, called his parole officer, found out who his parole officer was, and um, he was blood tested, piss tested, and thrown right back in jail to complete the remainder of his term. So, and then he came out and had a heart attack. It was a special kind of heart attack, too. As, as yeah, as I it was a, it was, a, it was a um, foxglove heart attack, artificial sweetener heart attack at fifty-two. One of the central karma ring- is a bitch. One of the central ringleaders to the uh, conspiracy to take down John Ford and have him um, have him locked up, put away for now. Uh, well over 20 years. So people obviously here are doing their best to work on promoting, getting, winning more exposure to the case, obviously, and um, getting the word out as, as best we can. Kaiser, you wanted to close with something. I guess you've got uh, just a, a brief question then that you'd like to field. Question and a uh, uh, clarification. I saw a bunch of comments in the thing, and I wanted to clarify. First off, with what Joe was saying about the uh, – prosecutor or whoever it was having a heart attack karma's a bitch uh so i'm glad that fucker's dead uh it sounds like john's gotten a rough patch and a rough deal and i agree with jaffe there is no justice in the legal system very little and and if you want and if you want proof of that and that's why what robert morningstar said earlier how trump and i've said it before He's the circus master. He's holding open the tent for everybody to see the shit show going on in Washington in the deep state. That's a fact. Having been around this, I'm confirming it. Now, the questions that I saw coming up where people were like, well, conflating it with MKUltra, yeah, CIA may be doing that, but it's under quote-unquote scientific officially terms, and they do recruit out of colleges. They have no official right to operate in the U.S., and that is by their charter. The thing is, they don't ask for permission to spy on any country they spy on, so why would they do it here? Okay? I also addressed that CIA case officers carry creds, credentials. So do the operators that are SAD, Scientific or Specialized Activities Division. Okay? Uh, knocks go with no creds. If people are saying that it's evil with what's going on, I agree with them, but they fail to realize who conducted all of the CIA ops in Eastern Europe and Russia. And that was a former Nazi who also founded the BND. And that's a fact. Anyways, my question for you, Joe, honestly, I hope somebody can get word to uh, President Trump on this case. Since he hasn't been convicted, I don't know if he can be pardoned, and I don't know if the president can intervene in any way. But if nothing else, get a hold of the Innocence Project. I know from where I worked and stuff, they have done a lot of good work to get people cleared on stuff. And it's usually non-gracious, you know, where you don't have to pay anything. Pro bono. So, pro bono, that's it. So that's my suggestion, and I'm, my question was, have you contacted the Innocence Project? I'm in touch with Christina uh, on the Innocence Project off and on, but I haven't really been going directly there because we have the attorney that was chosen by someone who was illegally incarcerated, and I just want to make it clear that John was never convicted 
never tried, never charged. Okay, initially charged, right. charges were withdrawn in lieu of a uh, of a voluntary committal, which turned into a mandatory committal when he asked to to leave. Mental assessment, right. right? Right, exactly, exactly. So you know, so much for that. And I know what you mean about credentials. I was once told that if you carry credentials, we can't do anything for you anyway, outside the country. Yep. DOD. Okay. And if you if you don't carry them, we can't do anything but get you back as a citizen. And right. you'd be better off not carrying them. But I did carry them anyway. And we will okay. hopefully do our best here now to carry the show on into the uh, the rogues gallery after hours end of today's stream. We've been running this portion of things for almost two hours now, so. You know, it's something that obviously warrants further discussion, and it's no surprise that we've carried on as long as we have. There's still a lot really to explore and to look at as far as the case is concerned. We encourage everyone out there, of course, all of our listeners, to do your own search via DuckDuckGo, ideally, for any further details regarding the John Ford UFO political prisoner case that you can find or or come across we've got archived shows via podomatic and there's all kinds of decent resources available if people want to reach out and uh, learn more about the case thanks for everyone's contributions today it's been classic and uh, historic indeed we're hoping that with john's new legal team he'll be able to make some progress and win the exposure that he so fully deserves. That's what this is all about, folks. Why has this not been talked about more widely? MUFON has roundly ignored Mr. Ford's plight. Some people in the UFOlogical community taking the view that, well, it's too political. But as we've talked about in the past, so is silence. So is ignoring the fact that some things need to be addressed and more can be done for certain people who have been railroaded or otherwise handed a a raw deal. We're going to be back later this week, Tuesday night, same time as usual, the 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 o'clock out in the Eastern Time Zone time slot with the World Pirate Radio News Midweek show. We're going to hopefully have uh, Kaiser Schuff join us at that time. I'm just going to quickly Hi. check the comment section here. We had up to about eight people at one point. Things kind of winding down now. So pretty active. Thanks uh, to Find the Truth. Sword Point Nine, Christina Taff, Mr. Anderson, Sons and Daughters of Liberty. Talking about, well, first of all, thank you, Mr. Anderson, for sharing the link. They've enjoyed the last two shows. I think they're one of our latest subscribers, so that's great to have you folks aboard. I hope we're not missing anybody here that we should be acknowledging. But anyways, it's been really great, of course. And wow, that the comment section, YouTube really was heating up here this week. So Joe333, as well as, of course, Pirate Joe Eminon and everyone else that contributed. That about does it, folks, for our 2018 John Ford UFO Political Prisoner uh, Roundtable. 
Aaron Wadsworth is our feature guest next week, followed by Al Zombie, really uh, ColorfulMinds.com personality, going to be uh, appearing the second to last week of June. We're going to take the fifth uh, week off for a bit of a break. We need some time to focus on producing a little more Patreon content. Thanks, as always, to everyone for your support. Until we meet again out in the high digital seas, on behalf of Captain Long John Sinclair and all the rest of the crew here on the Robin Hood, I'm your host, as always, Ship's Chief Communications Officer, Jaffe Ryder. I know, there we be. Having carefully looked over each of our navigation panel instruments, checking every level, switch, dial, cable, knob and pulley, by all accounts and indications, we indeed see it's time once again to drop anchor inside Mystic Bay and draw an end to another week of Pirate Radio Podcasts. Remember... If you're looking for a little more lively online action, keep in mind we've likely got yet another great free-flowing Rogues Gallery after show coming up for the next hour in either Skype, Google Hangouts, or Peer.in. Also, if you've in any way enjoyed or found yourself benefiting from the shows we've tirelessly produced over the past two years, you might want to drop by our Patreon tip jar page lend a little support. Half of all network donations go directly to charity. Help to keep those numbers growing over on Patreon and we'll be able to extend even more of a generous pirate hand. Looking forward now to the balance of 2018, we're still not quite yet booked. So if you yourself have a new, novel, intriguing, or otherwise underreported idea unique individual, or pressing item in mind, be sure to either drop us a line directly over on WPRPN.com or fire us a quick email via PirateOneRadio at gmail.com. We're always open to exploring fresh creative suggestions, intriguing guest ideas, cutting-edge discussion topics, and captivating themes. You can further embark on your own personal pirate journey by either liking, commenting on, subscribing to, or just following us via virtually any mainstream social media platform, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, or Minds.com. So don't forget to become engaged. Until we meet again out on the high digital seas, I'm your host as always. The ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Tally ho.